Our epistle lesson today is from Acts 2, 42 through 47, found in New Testament, page 120 in your pew Bible. This text provides a portrait of the church's first blossoming after Pentecost. In the previous verse, we learn that the community had grown from a band of 120 to 3,000 after hearing just one of Peter's sermons. But the momentum did not stop. Here we read that the numbers continued to grow daily. I believe the writer of Acts in these verses wanted to provide a snapshot of the ideal church that future churches in every time and place could emulate. Now hear what God is telling this church through the reading of Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Many churches and denominations seek the services of marketing gurus, PR people, and consultants in order to find that often elusive formula that will attract the younger generation or perhaps recapture those glory days of the 1950s and 60s when mainline churches were in their heyday. In an imperfect world, we seek to find the perfect pastor, curriculum, the music program, that magic bullet that will attract new members and save the church from financial doom. In the midst of all our striving for growth, solvency, and relevancy, this Acts text challenges us to consider how our modern-day church measures up to the utopian vision of the earliest church. 
In our culture, where people actively church shop, the writer of Acts offers four simple ways to identify an authentic, faithful church. Worship, fellowship, prayers, and sharing of goods are lifted up as the defining characteristics of the early church, a vibrant church that grew in numbers daily. Notice that the elements that mark this Christian community have nothing to do with the average age of the congregation, the progressive or conservative nature of the theology, the style of music offered, its neighborhood, the physical plant, or many other factors we commonly assess when church shopping. These four characteristics of the early church, worship and fellowship, prayer and generosity, have relevance today not only for those who seek to find a church home, but also for longtime members who seek to grow in their faith, and, per and uh, pastors, particularly interim pastors like me, who are called to encourage spiritual growth and vitality in a congregation as it prepares the way for a new installed pastor. The truth is that it is only through God's grace that the Holy Spirit can provide spiritual growth and vitality. But this Acts text, as one biblical scholar puts it, offers us ways we can nourish the plant. The four characteristics of the early church as lifted up in Acts interestingly resonate very much with this congregation. Living as a community of faith more than 20 centuries later. In many ways, the Holy Spirit is indeed at work here, just as it was in those heady days after Pentecost. We proclaim that Christ is our center here in this church, as Christ was likewise the center of the early church. The new converts devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings because they were still a small Jewish sect they worshipped regularly in the temple. They valued their faith traditions. Worship is important to you here at Chevy Chase, and you also value your traditions. You hear the apostles' teachings through scripture reading, Bible study, sacred music, and biblically-based sermons. You value substantive, robust preaching and listen thoughtfully. 
Yet effective preaching grows out of observing and participating in a community of faith. A sermon that could earn high marks from a seminary professor can fall flat if it does not speak to the hopes and dreams, challenges and struggles of the congregation to whom it is addressed. It takes a while to get to know a congregation, and as one does, the Holy Spirit helps one mature as a preacher. In addition to devoting itself to worship, the early church also dedicated itself to fellowship. In the text, the writer of Acts employs a well-known phrase from Greek philosophy that describes friendship, all things in common. The writer used this phrase knowing that a fellowship of believers shares more than common beliefs and core values. They display a profound regard for one another's spiritual and physical well-being. They are a community of friends. Christianity is a community experience. One cannot be Christian alone. Yet the mark of vitality in a congregation is not only the quality of the people's relationships with each other, but also their efforts to include others in those relationships. Now, I know almost every church describes itself as warm and welcoming. In fact, it's become an ecclesiastical cliché. Or, as one pastor in my interim group put it, the big lie. Perhaps churches are warm and welcoming to insiders, but do visitors stand alone in coffee hour? Nurturing a culture of hospitality within a congregation is hard work, and for many, the introverts among us, it does not come naturally. It takes a conscientious effort as those on our inviting team and involving team know all too well. Yet their efforts are succeeding. Just think, we have welcomed 17 new members in the first five months of this year. A strong spirit of fellowship exists in this congregation. As I have said several times before, I have been struck by the extraordinary ways you care for each other how you spontaneously volunteer to provide food and rides and comfort when sickness or hardship prevails. 
in the practical assistance and support the gatherings committee offer families when a death in the congregation occurs by how the deacons keep shut-ins linked to the church through visitation and intentional ministries. We also read that the early church broke bread together. Perhaps the writer of Acts intended a double meaning here for both the Lord's Supper and communal feasting. Like all churches, we celebrate the sacrament of communion as a vital part of our worship. And as an extension of the sacrament, we serve communion to shut-ins. And we will, beginning, we will be beginning to do so every month rather than just twice a year. But we also gather for common meals. Dinners for eight, the lobster fest, the 50-year member lunch, the Pentecost picnic, the pig roast. For the church, food is and always has been symbolic. Think of it. We eat to survive just as we need community to survive. Dining together lets us fuel our bodies and fuel our souls. The early church also devoted itself to prayer. Prayer in all of its forms helps us commune with the divine. Just like us, the early church prayed the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, and they prayed for each other. For nearly three years, I have been the keeper of the weekly prayer list. So I know you believe in the power of prayer. A day seldom passes that I do not receive a concern from you, a joy or a sorrow you wish to share. And you are dismayed when a prayer request is inadvertently forgotten. Prayer not only connects you with God, but unifies you as a congregation. The final mark of the church, as revealed in this passage, is sacrificial giving to meet communal needs. The sharing of goods creates an economic culture of equality, thus building unity by destroying class distinctions. It is part of our Christian ethos. The ancient world knew depths of poverty so severe that it is beyond our imagination. But the people in the early church shared what they had and were generous. But ironically, in the center of the affluent individualistic society in which we live, a society that values the acquisition of wealth. Stewardship becomes a challenge for all Christian communities. Yet, it is important to remember that sacrificial giving 
in its biblical context, is never a cause. It is always an effect. Let me repeat that. Sacrificial giving in its biblical context is never a cause. It is always an effect. Giving is an outgrowth of worship emanating from gratitude to God, coupled with a strong sense of belonging to a loving faith family. The lesson from the early church is that if worship and fellowship are strong, generous giving should be the natural result. In her book, A People's History of Christianity, Diana Butler Bass contends that the reason the Christian church has lasted throughout the ages is because it succeeds in transforming the lives of people in a chaotic world. It provides an alternative way of seeing the world and relating to each other. She writes that now, just as in the early church, actually following Jesus' commandment to love God and neighbor leads to a generative type of faith that when carried out to its fullest, fulfills our every need. The church, described in Acts 2, worshipped often, prayed, lived in a community where believers cared for each other and shared their goods. This is not fancy market analysis. It's not a fresh new perspective. It is not the latest and greatest management theory on church retention and growth. Worship, prayer, fellowship, and generosity. It is so simple. Yet for Christ's church and for this church, It is everything. Amen.